Hi, I'm Drew Barrios. This podcast is conversations with people about what it is to be a brown person in this city and our different narratives. What do I mean by brown? A person who is Latina, Latino, Latinx, Mexican, Central American, South American, Afro-Latino, or anyone who identifies as one. I'll also be including black, indigenous people of color from time to time. Fair warning, there's adult language and social injustice situations in this podcast. Now, I made this for everybody, from the brown folk who still don't know what an Afro-Latino is, to the white folk who don't know the difference between a salvi and a chapin. And if you don't know those words, you should definitely listen. This is Being Brown in L.A. Welcome back, guys. This is Being Brown in LA. And today, my guest this week is Alana Webster. Hi. Now, Alana, you have many hats that you wear. Yes. Can you tell us what you do? For sure. I'll tell you how I switched from a fedora to a little beret to a little uh-huh. headband. Absolutely. Uh, so I do a couple of things. I am an actress. Uh, that's the bread and butter post-production sound primarily, and then some on-camera stuff as well. I've done shows like All American, Orange is the New Black, May It Rest in Peace, uh, The Middle, uh, The Shy, the list goes on. Uh, I also am the creator of a web series called The Madams. It's a dirty, sexy, funny web series about two sisters who are down on their luck but they know a lot of beautiful women and have a lot of interesting friends. So they start their own escort service in Los Angeles and fun things ensue. I'll I'll leave it as a cliffhanger there. And then I'm also a podcaster. I am the co-host of an interse- of an intersectional feminist podcast called Black and Yellow. We re- we uh, produce new episodes once a week, all under the theme of feminism and how it affects African American and Asian American women. So last year was a very busy year for the show with the pandemic and with all of the hate crimes against Asian people stemming from said pandemic. Uh, because being brown or yellow in Los Angeles is never an easy thing. Uh, And then I also am a fashion blogger. My fashion blog is called Renegade of Fun. I believe in fashion for the fun of it. I like to take it semi-seriously, but have a lot of fun along the way. I feel like you need a hobby because you don't (laughs) have enough things to do and you seem kind of lazy. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, fair enough. The the hobby that I had is how you and I met, yeah, right? Exactly, dodgeball. Yeah, exactly. That was our, <laughs> that was our hobby. It's funny because, um, you know, I miss dodgeball a lot, mm-hmm. um, but I don't miss smelling like floor and because I have a habit of throwing myself on the floor. Yes, you do. Yes. It was a skill I never acquired, but was very impressed by. Yeah, it's funny because my girlfriend tells the story to people, and they don't they don't know how to imagine it. And she would say like, "Yeah, he just like flattens himself down into the floor. Exactly, he's like flat, and then he just gets right back up." It's 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 like you have a spring in your. I don't know if it's if you're coming up by your 
your knees, your stomach. I don't know, but it's dinged. It's it's up down it's in a way that I've never seen. Instinctual because it's like an animal instinct that I have, um, oh. which is ironic because now when I get out of bed these days, I'm just like, oh, everything hurts. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I play dodgeball, it's like the adrenaline is just taking over me, and I can just sure. throw myself on the floor and get back up and be like, what? Yeah, it's it's like drinking the Kool-Aid, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, I know my joints are going to hurt tomorrow, but right now, nothing hurts. I am 15 years old. Exactly. You know what I mean? Full of vim and vigor and gusto, and I will deal with any aches and pains tomorrow for sure. Yeah, and so that's that's how we met, right? Dodgeball? Yeah. uh, Was it uh, Eagle Rock? Verdugo. No, sorry, Eagle Rock uh, uh, Rec Center, and then Verdugo Bar was our post-drink, our, bar. Exactly. our, our watering yeah, hole, yeah, yeah. for sure. So for those of you guys who don't know, uh, dodgeball is being played all around the city of L.A., normally by people in the entertainment industry. I feel like there's a lot of people yeah, that are... creative people, I would say. Video yeah. people, mm-hmm. photo people, uh, a lot of actors. I know sure. that, you know, I used to play dodgeball with Colton from... Superstore. Yes. Uh, I also played dodgeball with another gentleman who came out in the Inhumans and Marble, but we're not going to talk about that show because it's. So good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fair then, enough. And it's funny because I was thinking, you know, like I was thinking, like, yeah, there's so many people in the entertainment industry, and sure. there's so many people that worked on those shows that I still play dodgeball with recently, and a lot of my friends are Netflix and you know mm-hmm. Pixar and also in DreamWorks. And then I saw a commercial for the NBA uh, 2K17. Ah, and guess I know who where this came out on that spot? Ooh, me and my Mamba face. There you go. And how did so? The, how did that come across? Like, how how was it? So, so it was Kobe's last year, just for everyone. R.I.P. Kobe, first of all. It was his mm-hmm. last year. It was the I guess you would say it was the commemorative. Um, video game but I remember getting the audition and my fiance is a massive Lakers fan and I did something I would never do which was go into the audition super on the nose so I got his Kobe jersey the smallest one that he had which essentially was like a dress on me and I went into the audition so excited as a lifetime LA girl uh Kobe so Kobe, we would see Kobe a lot in Westchester. For those of you who are maybe not aware of the way that LA is laid out, Westchester is is uh, west side, so going towards the airport, going towards the beach. Um, Kobe was always like a figure over there because his wife went to Westchester High. So seeing Kobe was incredibly common. Um, so getting the audition, went in, in my Kobe jersey, basically being the excited girl who wanted to make the Mamba face and made it very clear that I love Kobe, I'm from LA, like this would be a really cool gig to have. I guess doing the adverse of what actors are told, which is we're told to not make it uh, clear that we really want the job. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I did the abs- the opposite. I was like, I really want this job. It is very cool. It commemorates Kobe. It's his last year. And I don't know if the casting director was just like taken by my enthusiasm or if she wanted one less thing off her plate to do, but she gave me the job and it was a very cool experience. You walked in and like, where Kobe at? And pretty much, at? yes. My dad texted me and was like, is Kobe there? Is he overseeing this project? Like, oh no, dad, lovely judge you are, but like, no, no, no. Unfortunately, this is all, you know, production and ad and all that stuff. Well, that was a that was a really nice t- touch there because I'm, I'm glad that at least they gave it to somebody from LA. Yes. 
And everybody seemed to be like, you know, just like these different types of people,、mm-hmm. not your usual people, I guess you would say your usual sure. sports fans. You had a diverse group, you know, like、yeah. video game players and old people and young people and media, you know. So I thought it was a great touch that you were right in the middle making that face because it kind of just、you. like broke up the, the monotony of all these guys and people. <laughs> like, And, and you mentioned that you're from LA, right? What part of、yes. LA are you from? So I grew up on the west side.、Uh, Ladera Heights is the neighborhood, I guess, one would call, if one would call that area Black Beverly Hills. It's like Ladera Heights, Windsor Hills,、uh, View Park, that sort of area where you have a lot of、uh, successful African American families、uh, concentrated in that small space. So, like Tyler I, the Creator grew up over the there. It is Black Beverly Hills, I have to say. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I grew up in South Central. And I had friends that lived in Inglewood. And then I moved to Culver City,、mm-hmm. and, which is right on, adjacent to Ladera Heights. Sure. And I took a wrong turn off the La Cienega, I guess. <gasps> okay, small yeah. Highway. Uh huh. And I ended up, and I was <laughs> like, these houses are dope. Like, <laughs> these black people are hiding these houses. <laughs> They're like, dope. <laughs> no. I was like, So impressed by those houses, and then somebody was like, invited me to a pool party, and the house was like amazing. And then there was a pool in the back, and I was like, Damn, like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like it is a, 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 a well kept secret of Los Angeles in terms、yeah. of an enclave of culture. Um, I think because. Historically, in Los Angeles, the nicer places were not selling houses to African Americans in the 60s and 70s, no matter how successful they were. The, that area, Ladera Heights, View Park, Baldwin Hills, they were accepting and selling to African American families. Hence, you've got a, just a high concentration of them in one place. Also, that location is super interesting because it's not far from the, the quote unquote. Rougher parts of LA, if you will. And so my dad would always scare me and say, like, oh, well, if you don't work hard, like, we're gonna drive down and, like, see where not working hard can land you. And he would, like, take me to Skid Row. Yeah. I, I feel like that neighborhood is, is such a、uh, juxtaposition of, like,、mm-hmm. what LA people think LA is and what.、Yeah. LA really is,、mm-hmm. and then the stereotypes of LA as well. And they all intersect, which is ironic because La Cienega and Sepulveda and all those streets kind of just like mesh together in that area. Yeah. And then there's the 405. And right away, you get the airport,、yep. you get Inglewood, which、mm-hmm. used to be a white neighborhood, and then white flights.、Yes. And then It、yep. became a black neighborhood,、sure. and now it's going back to being a white neighborhood.、Mm-hmm. There's also pockets of Crenshaw that used to be、yes. white, and then white flight happened, and now it's really, it's really heavily Asian, which is also interesting how that change uh, uh, yeah. happens. Yeah, I mean, look at Lamert Park.、Yeah. Lamert Park is totally changing. Lamert Park、it. is such a beautiful little neighborhood. Drew, I miss my Lamert Park. I made、and、it a point to go I there. I remember, like, I, I, you know, there's also like a. LACMA has a. A sub museum at Lamarck Park that I,、um, I, that that. I went to, that I used to go see a bunch of art when it was open, and they had some amazing stuff that was being, you know, given on you know, on donation with LACMA, sure, in association with LACMA. So they were promoting these black artists that you never really get to see,、mm-hmm. but LACMA has a whole catalog of their work, yeah. And then suddenly, you know, everything got shut down. And、mm-hmm. I remember I had a job for LA Weekly where I had to shoot, you know. Whatever story of the week was, and there was a woman <laughs> who started a gallery there. Yeah. 
and then you know it was like really popular and she got a lot of attention of it but then you know with covid and sure. the fact that the neighborhood was changing yeah you know we're losing all these things and and art should be going back into the black communities because there's so many yeah. black artists that nobody knows about because the art world keeps peddling the same people over and for over sure and over again. So first things first, you say Lamar Park, Lamert Park, and my heart kind of dropped because I made it a point to at least once or twice a month go over there and check out local artists, any new restaurants that have opened. There's a lot of great shops to support black business in that area. So I always made a day of it where I would go eat, I would go shop, I would go check out art, and then I would sit and read in front of the uh, fountain that Brandy danced in front of uh, for the opening <laughs> <Emotion>. of the <laughs> But I, I hear uh, what you're saying. About, yeah, like I hear what you're saying about the the lack of um, people seeing black art as valid or somehow on the same level as quote unquote white gallery artists, because I think that you can then you can ask yourself with that being shown, what does the quote unquote art world uh, think of art that is outside of their uh, perspective or realm of cultural comprehension? The you know it's it's hard for me because I've 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 always had this thing where like I feel like I've never I wasn't exposed to too much you know brown and black art when I was growing up and mm -hmm. if I knew that it was out there I would have not tortured myself so much going through the whole thing where should I go to art school or not go to art school you know yeah. brown people we're not artists we need to get a job where yeah. we need to fix something you know we got to keep these white people happy so or else sure. you know we're not gonna get money sure sure definitely but i feel i feel like i found now as an adult mm -hmm. those, those little wonderful treasures of like this great artist and that great artist and you know and i'm just like my heart just kind of like explodes because a lot of people don't understand what the significance of Lamert Park is. Sure. Where, like, you know, Jurassic 5 came out of there. Yes. You know, a bunch of rappers came out of there and they were doing freestyle stuff and they were yeah. just... And so, not only that, but then you had all this artists and the jazz before that, mm -hmm. all those jazz musicians that were living in the area and also playing in the area. Right. You know, we're not talking... And it's like a weird pocket because it's... On one side, it's South Central, then the Crenshaw District, and then it's like, if you keep going a little too far, now you're in... Lamert, Lamert Park. I mean, Ladera Heights and Baldwin Hills, and then after that, it's like Englewood, and then you're at the LAX. And so it's like, what do you call? What you know? What, it's like a little heaven that's been surrounded by all this. Oh, I love that you say that. I love that you refer to it as a little heaven because I definitely think it is a slice of of um, sort of eternal warmth and wonderment over there because there are some mainstays that never leave. There are some restaurants that never leave. There are some art galleries that have been there for what feels like eons. And even if the art feels a little bit um, dated in some, in some ways, it's still very valid to the culture right now. Um, I also, in terms of, of, of feeling like um, minorities don't value art, I do think that there is some validity to that, but I do think it's changing. I do think there is an assumption that uh, minorities minority parents, I guess I should say, don't encourage their kids to go into the arts. And I do think little by little as our world is changing, I think also going through COVID 
and people seeing just how important art is as a lifeline and a medium to connect with people during a time where everyone was feeling disconnected and everyone was feeling um, adrift, I think is a fair word to, is a fair way of putting it how incredibly crucial art was to all of our survival in 2020 and going forward into 2021 and how important it is to call out the systemic injustices that keep white art funded but black art not funded but black art or hispanic art or asian art just alive enough to be able to siphon some ideas to make them their own and to monetize them in some way um, the art world can see that they can make money off of you, then they'll promote you as, sure. ooh, a black artist or this artist. Mm -hmm. um, and I keep saying this because I've said it before on the podcast is that, you know, the art world is a well-oiled machine and a lot of those parts are made of women power. Yeah. Yet men, old men, get to decide what is... Um, profitable or viable or great art mm -hmm. and, and they choose the wrong people 100 percent. yeah definitely let's not confuse money <clears throat> and access with uh n with with knowledge and being the cultural tastemakers i think that we far too often conflate those two things well this person has a lot of money and a lot of influence they must know what's going on well, no, they probably have a lot of money and influence because they've been in this game for a long time. They understand the way the system goes and they could profit off of it. But are they making the system better for the next generation coming up under them? You know, growing up and not seeing somebody that looked like me mm -hmm. and also like the fact that I was, you know, an Afro-Latino kid, you know, sure. black and then brown. And then so then there's no, <laughs> you don't have a lot of them here. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, not seeing those things, somebody who was interested in art, not seeing somebody who represented me, you know, and then it was the same stereotypes, you know, Frida Kahlo, this and yep. that. And so it's like, and then, you know, I needed to see something different. And I think that the more that I started to investigate, things change. And I think now I'm a little bit older mm -hmm. and I feel like all this art that's out there, like I'm seeing it with baby eyes and you know even like a small thing like going hiking like that wasn't a thing that was promoted to black and brown kids when i was true up. yes and the outdoors should be a place for us to be at black yeah. people and brown people and women should feel safe being outdoors and hiking yes. and camping just like everybody else you know for sure there's a long history of of not allowing black and brown people into national parks and and public spaces in an effort to keep these spaces white. And I think I'm right there with you. Like hiking was not something that my family talked about as a form of exercise or enjoyment. Uh, same thing with camping. Like I didn't think that black people camped. I surely didn't camp. Yeah. And I was on a shoot 2019, so two years ago, uh, and it was in a national park. And I tell you, Drew, I have never felt so out of place in my entire life. Not because anyone in the park was you know, making comments or looking at me sideways, but just because I was legitimately in a place where I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. I don't understand the way the great outdoors work when you're actually out and in them. You know, like I, I think that um, the great outdoors, if you're used to communing with nature, it seems like, yeah, just get outside. But 
when you are part of a, a culture that has been told, no, you're not allowed to go here, or no, you're not allowed to um, camp here, or or just don't feel like they know the rules of the wilderness. It doesn't necessarily create an environment where people want to go, uh, or I should say people of color want to go and relax. It actually does quite the opposite. Yeah, and it, it also, you know, when you when you watch those movies and you see like the brown person goes hiking yeah. with them, they always end up dying first. Sure, and they always <laughs> see, they're always portrayed as people who are bumbling and don't know yeah, and are in a foreign land. Which is funny because last year, you know, I, I go camping and I go to a lot of hikes and that's just through the friendships that I have and the different people mm. that I that come in my life. And that's why I always promote this podcast to everybody. You know, yeah. if you're not brown, it doesn't matter. You can listen to it. Sure. I have friends who are not brown and I have different race friends. And so they take me to, to their stuff and I take them to mine. And mm-hmm. hiking was something that I share with friends of all colors, Asian, white, and, you know, even Latino. Yeah. Um, and I went camping recently last year with my girlfriend in the very isolated part of Joshua Tree. Mm, okay, there was yes. That, there was that moment where I was like, ah, I'm the brown guy in that movie and I'm going to yes. die here. Because there yes. was nobody there and it was, the weir- it was like a weird spot and it was really hidden. And I think she chose it because it was private and it was just us and it sure. would be like a little thing. But in the mo- there was a moment where I looked at her and I was like, are you going to, you know, am I going to die here? <laughs> going to be like the thing where you're going to be like... I don't know what happened to that fool. He might have run away. I think Joshua Tree is also one of those places that we commonly write off as like happy hippieville. Yeah. But there's definitely Trump supporters out in Joshua Tree. Don't get into it. I've seen a lot of, and also, you know, when you get into Joshua Tree, before you get into it, Mm -hmm. you know, 29 Palms and, and, you know, all Mm -hmm. the desert cities that are there. um, It's an awakening when you go to the Walmart and you deal with the desert people. Yeah. There's a there's a whole different level of desert people up there that I think is very strange and very <laughs> Yeah. You couldn't make it up. Like no, it's, totally. you know, the people of Walmart, this is the people of Desert Walmart. It's totally. Like, yeah. For sure. I, I feel like that's what it is like if you went to Walmart in a swamp land around mm. Florida. It'd uh, just be a ooh, whole different jeez. Yeah. I hear what so, you're saying. I, I wanted to talk about your website because I, I love the whole Renegades of Fun. It reminds me of the Rage Against the Machine, Renegades of Funk. Exactly. I don't know if that's where it came from. Yes, that's, that's my favorite nod. band. Um, but I feel like that website is like you're such a chameleon. Like there's oh, thank a lot you. of times where you're doing all these different things. And if you blink, you could think that it would be a different person. Yeah. Oh, my and God. I thank you that. so much. And it, it kind of gave me a little of... of uh, you know, the Game of Thrones, Miss, Miss Shanty kind of Ugh. vibes. What's her name? Hi, uh, compliment. Um, Natalie. Oh, I forgot her name already. Um, she's a great actress, Natalie. Something. It'll come. It'll come. Yeah. Um, but uh, it kind of gave me a little bit of that. Um, her name is Natalie Emmanuel. There it's we go. Miss yes. Sandy. Oh, Miss gorgeous. Sandy from, yeah. So it gave me a little bit of those vibes. And I was like, oh, I, I really like her. I think she's a great actress. Um, but... I love the fact that you're just doing different things in there. I even like the fact that you had a picture of you and your floral kicks. <laughs> I think they're they're dunks or there might be Jordans. I'm not exactly. really sure. I'm a big. I love shoes, so that's like a thank you. That's like a thing, yeah. Um, but it was great. I even saw like you posted some creepers on there. Yes. Which I I had to explain to my girlfriend what creepers were, and she didn't understand why people would want to wear those shoes. And I really, I was like, if you're from LA, you've had a pair of creepers. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Some, somewhere down the line, somebody was wearing creepers, and you were like, "Those are dope." And then Rihanna came out without. She came out with her own series of creepers. Yes, I yeah. feel like creepers are one of those shoes that. Living in LA, you end up going to a lot of shows, like a lot yeah. of concerts. Yeah. Even and I've found myself at a lot of punk shows, and I am not a punk fan, but I'm a live music fan, and so yeah. I would break out the Creepers for that. But I would also break out the Creepers for like festivals, yeah. because I want to be able to see and I want to be able to hop around and stomp on. If, if I mean, if if you were in high school at some time in LA here like I remember being in high school and everybody had creepers and oh, we would yeah. go to these backyard parties and they were, you know play mm-hmm. Morrissey and you know Depeche Mode and all those bands <laughs> everybody had creepers you know and so it's For like sure. I, I know that everybody that I know that I grew up with had, at some point in time has had a pair of creepers and you For know, sure. either the checker ones or the all black ones the polka dot ones, had ones my or the ones with the you know the the uh, I don't know if it's the leopard skin ones mm-hmm. I mean there was even alligator ones but sure um, I did like the the fact that you had you were representing the, the <laughs> kicks in your uh, in your website. I also liked your your little comment of wake up, kick ass, be kind, uh, and repeat. My life motto. Yes, I, I have a thing here at the end. I, I always say, if you don't see color, you don't see beauty. That's true. Or if you don't see color, you don't see me. Right? Yeah. Like, no, I definitely feel that. I feel like. Wake up, kick ass, be kind, repeat. That's just my mantra for life. I feel like that's an an easy thing for anyone to do. Um, And I also feel like it was really grounding last year specifically. It felt like like that motto gave my life purpose and direction. And um, focus, I think, during a time where everything was really chaotic. How is it, how hard is it to be a person of color in, of course, fashion? (laughs) Because, you know, you look at what we've been told the standards of beauty is. Sure. So, I would say a couple of years ago, it was significantly harder than it is now. It feels, I remember there would be times where I would go to shoots and there wouldn't be anyone on set to do my hair or my makeup. So I became very adept to bringing my own makeup kit and being able to do my makeup really, really fast, I guess in a way, um, letting go of that whole uh, sort of Cinderella, I don't want to call it a dream, but the Cinderella thought that some models have, which is like, I'm going to show up on set, I'm going to get beautified, I'm going to go shoot, it's all going to be great. But it's a little bit different when you're modeling or you're acting while black and you are fully aware that there might not be people who are able to beautify you the way that you feel like you should or the way that you feel like you could so you take matters into your own hands same thing with hair what's the hair look you're going for oh you want it straight i realize that that means i have to come out of pocket 60 to 100 dollars before the shoot to get my hair done so that when i show up on set the hair or makeup gentleman or woman can just uh work from a a quote-unquote blank slate or an easier slate to work from than natural hair I will say uh, now in terms of styling and in terms of, I would say, uh, fashion all around, because we are valuing diversity much more, you are finding yourself on sets with people who are able to beautify you, hair, makeup, uh, clothing, in the way that you feel like you should and could be beautified. Uh, But the, the, the fashion blogger world, honestly isn't very different from 
I'm 33. I grew up in the era of the Paris Hiltons and the Nicole Richies, and people still want to see that. By and large, the things that do well on Instagram, the posts that get the most likes, are what I call the fashion fantasy that do put Eurocentric uh, beauty standards front and center. I think we still have a long way to go in terms of how we look at beauty and really understanding and feeling in our bones that beauty comes in all shapes and sizes and colors. I think that that's a thing that people are saying. I think that that's a thing that brands are uh, really making an effort to put front and center. But were they doing that a couple of years ago? I don't really know. I know for some brands, yes. And for some brands, they're just getting on that bandwagon of showing that they accept people of color and think that they're beautiful. But I still think we have a, a ton of work ahead of us. Yeah, I think so too. I, I recently, you know, last year before everything went down, before COVID, I, I was working with a, a brand, a clothing brand called Entire World. Um, yeah. And one of the things that got me to them was that not only did they have access to movie stars and actors to do mm -hmm. a lot of their promotions, but when you look at their front page, um, it wasn't your typical white models. And again, no offense to like white models are getting jobs, but sure. this one was filled with Asian, black, and yeah. it wasn't just a black person. It was a black person who was really, really dark complexion. Mm -hmm. So they weren't afraid to go to there put them and put them in the front. So when you get on that page, it would be an Asian person, a black person, and a white person. And it was in front center. Hey, look, this, this is what we're about. And I decided to work with them because I was like, oh, that's great. And so I remember being on a shoot and the most coveted model was this woman with this just throwy hair that was Love just it. so beautiful. Yes. It looked like a line maid. And she was, of course, beautiful. And she was, you know, typical bottle, model body and stuff. Mm -hmm. but, um, <laughs> but I think like the creative director was like wanting to use her for everything. And at a certain point, we had to be like, you can't put her on everything. <laughs> She is beautiful, I get it, but you can't put her on everything. Because if she was so flexible with her look, you know, and it was mm -hmm. such a thing where you can just put anything on her and it would be like, that looks, that looks great, I'll buy it. You know? I believe Entire World, the owner of that company used to be the owner of Band of Outsiders, if my memory serves. I don't know. You would, you would be the expert on that one. I think so, because I recently heard an interview with him um, He's a Silver Lake guy, and when Band of Outsiders, uh, when he closed it and was looking for his new fashion venture, he wanted something that quite literally the entire world could wear. And sometimes with premium designer, you know, when you're making clothing in those price points, you're very clearly carving out and saying like, these are the people that can afford it. These are the people that I'm selling to. Yeah. So what a great change to say, now everyone can wear my line. It's not just for these people that can afford it or these people that have this particular style. I mean, besides the, mo I mean, you look at the, the design wise and, and the um, marketing aesthetic that, that that company has and it's mm -hmm. great, I mean, yeah, I feel like it makes you feel like anybody can have this. But yeah, it is the higher price bracket sure. that would buy that stuff. Sure. But he, they put it in such a way where you're like, this is so appealing that I don't even, I feel comfortable and happy buying this stuff.
Absolutely, it's the democratization of fashion. For so long, I mean, fashion was restrictive to people that looked like you and I. I mean, let's, I'm sure that you feel this. There were times, you know, back in the day where people like you and I couldn't go into the higher end premium stores. And that was a clearly sent message. So I think the future of fashion is democratizing it. I think, um, Gone are the days of just the chosen few know about esoteric fashion houses and have access to them. Now, if you want to keep a brand going and relevant and powerful, you've got to branch out and include everyone in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, and this is something that I completely believe and I've been telling people this, is we need to stop sort of fighting each other and mm. choosing sides and being against each other. If you understand how much money can be made from everybody being together, Oof. black dollars are very important. Brown yes. dollars are super powerful. Brown yes. dollars will change the way food works in this state. Yes. By two ways. One, we're the we, a lot of brown people are in the service industry sure. and they're growing the, the food that you're eating right now. Two mm -hmm. is if we don't want to buy something and somebody in Spanish says it to everybody, mm. you will get generations and generations and generations not that buying sticks. that. And it's very important. But black dollars have the same amount of power, too. But also think about it. From the, the moment that we made our first black and brown dollars, we basically have been told, take your black and brown dollars and spend them at white institutions. Spend your black and brown dollars with white people because white-owned institutions have products that are uh, better quality or will give you some sort of status symbol or are just more palatable all around. And so then you sort of look up as adults and you're like, wait, hold on. Why am I not supporting or shopping within my own community more? Exactly. These I, I should be giving my brown dollars and my black dollars to brown and black people. I want the dollar to keep bouncing around the community. That's how the community gets stronger. I feel like I'm taking a lot more steps to consider who I'm shopping with now and why and what a company's ethos is are now more than ever because I'm incredibly skeptical of supporting any company, white owned or otherwise, that doesn't have the best interest of people of color or marginalized communities at heart. Yeah, I, you know, one of the, the funny things that happened during COVID was that everything was getting exposed, you know, like mm. the, the, as much as he wanted to drain the swamp, he sure. trained it reversely on himself and on the people that were sure. supporting him. You know, you started to find out that Home Depot was supporting him uh -huh. and that Lowe's was a black owned company. Yep. And I, I didn't know that either. Always hated shopping at Home Depot because it's going in there is like asking people for money out of their own pocket. Like, True. can you help me find this? It's like, oh, what? Now mm -hmm. I got to help you find this? Yes, fool, you work here. Sure. Like, you should help me. Imagine you know? being a woman and asking for something yeah. and getting like, well, are you you sure you need that? Let me show you what you might use instead. No, sir, I want this product. Show me this product. Do not assume that you know my yeah. needs better than I do. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I, I felt like every time I went into Lowe's, people were like, hey, do you need help? Or like, oh, well, let me ask. Oh, I don't know about this, but let me ask them. Like, it was like, like they were just trying. They were trying, yeah. at least trying, you know? But like at Home Depot, it was like, man, it's like, I had to beg somebody to help me. And then sure. when I, you know, was like, hey, how come I'm not getting any help? Everybody, mm -hmm. you know, it was like I was the rude person there. So I was like, I don't need to come here. Yeah. Like, I, I don't need to give you my money. I can go get this other. Sure. Thing. And I made a comment on on 
social media. And right away they were like, oh, we, you know, he doesn't work with us anymore. And I was like, he still gets paid. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> money. So no, you can't. I'm not letting me. you like, slide on that technicality. He might not be the. He may not be on the board, but he sure. still gets money from being the owner the, or the sure. past owner. Mm-hmm. So he's still using Home Depot money yeah. to go and give to Frump, the con man. So yeah. Like, no. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like that fashion-wise, there were a couple of brands that I wore pretty religiously. I would say Reformation is probably the one that tops this list. And when um, everything started going down, it quickly became uh, front and center that Reformation doesn't hire black models, uh, really celebrates Eurocentric or Israeli-centric standards of beauty because I believe the owner of that company is uh, from Israel. But... um, it was one of those those socks in the gut because you've spent so much money with a company and believed in their product yeah. only to then have the the uh, curtain pulled back and realize that company doesn't really care about you but they'll take your dollars it, it, it you know i i go back to that song that kanye before kanye was crazy uh-huh wrote where he was like, you know, talking about brands and, mm-hmm. you know, naming their daughter Alexis. <laughs> he's, like, Part, he's like, I don't even know how to say these things. Past that Versace. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like, I just, you know, I just read that the lead designer for the footwear of um, Versace, uh, Salihi uh, Benbury, he designed shoes for Versace, went into the Versace store and came out in Beverly Hills and got harassed by the police. Mm, and they were like, me. you know, where'd you get that? And and mm-hmm. he was like, this, I bought, you know, I got this. This is like mine. Like, he, I'm just trying to get to my car. Yeah. And they, for some reason, thought that he was trying to steal it or that he had stolen it. And it's like, he, he designed the, the shoes that are in that window that you're standing in front sure. of. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Let, let us not forget the police was a system built on racism. I yeah. mean, once slavery ended, the police force was enacted to keep black people uh, in their place and to behave in a way that they wanted them to. There's. Yeah. Well, the yeah. first police departments and some of the U.S. Marshals departments were first groups that would were slave uh uh, reclaiming groups Mm -hmm. basically what they did is they went and got slaves and it's funny that they used that same badge that was like the slave unit they were going out there and getting runaway slaves Mm -hmm. they used that same badge to make like sheriff badges yep and now you have the same design it's almost it's almost a systematic thing where like you you have to understand that the systematic trauma has just has continued because it's changed into different formats it went from you know slave owners to you know cops police officers to government to bank owners to Mm -hmm. all these people that wanted to do everything to stop people of color getting houses or moving in their neighborhoods to to this school or being able to vote sure yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. I would say that. So yes, in terms of of voting, a lot of black people died and a lot of women died to secure the right to vote. I vote without question, but it also falls on us to keep our eyes open for where these new um, where these new barriers for black and brown people are and what institutions they hold. It's our job to infiltrate those systems in any way that we can to create change. And the great thing about 
where we are today in the world is that you have a lot of people that are willing to make noise and are willing to pull back the curtain and shine a flashlight into those blind spots to help us illuminate and see the truth. Yeah, I mean, the best way, and this is one of the reasons why the Republican Party has skirty, <laughs> like, you know, separated like rats yep. when the light comes on mm -hmm. or roaches is because <laughs> the really they they ran away from the, those people that ran away from Trump right away mm -hmm. were because these major corporations took their money and yeah. like, we're not donating to the Republican Party anymore because uh -huh. these traitors try to overturn the government and that mm -hmm. goes against everything like if you overturn the government this is chaos and you will see how bad this will get yeah and money talks and bullshit walks and sure. so those bullshitters we're like, oh, we can't support him anymore. Yeah. You know, rewind back to a couple months ago and they were like, oh, you know, he's right. And now uh -huh. they're like, oh, no, no, he's a traitor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it shows you how transactional those relationships were. Exactly. <laughs> what do you have? How can you help me? Well, I can help you like this. If you can help me like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that we as a country narrowly skirted another four years with Trump. And yeah. I think that this year, these next four years should serve as a reminder to listen to people of color, listen to black people, listen to Asian people, listen to Hispanic people, listen to women. Uh, minorities and marginalized groups are often the canaries in the racism coal mine. And we've been the canaries for decades now. And it feels like we're just starting to be heard. But there's a lot more listening that can happen. Oh, definitely. I mean, I feel like uh, there's so many things that I've learned this last year and that helped me get through COVID because, you know, instead of getting angry, I had to learn how to take the hate and weaponize it into education. Sure. Bringing it out to the light and saying, look, look, you have to pay attention. Because a lot of people are not, don't know. I mean, the systematic abuse of black women in the medicine field. That's, mm. one. that's huge. Like not listening to black women yeah. when they tell you something is wrong. Sure. And having people stand up with them and say, hey, I'm a doctor. I'm telling you that there's something wrong. And then they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Or, you know, black and brown men have been being killed and murdered. Yep. For small things by police, not mm -hmm. just murder, period, but sure. by police, you know, the disappearance of Native American women. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yes. You know, and now, yes. one, the internment of Asian Americans, Japanese, mm -hmm. and now the, um, and before that, of course, the laws that prohibit, you know, Chinese from owning pieces of land. Right. They started in San Francisco, but now the racism built on just true lies mm -hmm. about Chinese or Asian people yeah. bringing coronavirus here. Sure. Or in actuality, some of the first corona cases that came over here were on Europeans and, you know, yeah. businessmen. They were not Asian. Let me just tell you that. And it really shows you the sickness of racism because uh, the need to other is so strong right now, but the the othering is not going to get us anywhere. I know that within the black community, 
Black people are having a hard time deciding if they feel comfortable wearing masks out or not in a time of COVID because yes, we should all be wearing masks. However, when your health and safety protocol of wearing a mask to protect oneself from COVID directly crosses over to the color of your skin and the perception that you could be a dangerous person, suddenly the uh, question of, do I go out and wear a mask? Do I go out and not wear a mask? am I safe either way, is then immediately heightened. And we are seeing certain effects of what that looks like. There have been black men that have been arrested wrongfully just for wearing a mask or or harassed because they were wearing a mask and someone thought that they were sketchy or dangerous. But also, how are these people, how are these people supposed to live? We're trying to do our best to keep you safe. But we're, what we're also asking is that you're not uh, looking at us as constant threats when we're just trying to live our lives. The ignorance of health care and, and the propaganda of just straight out lies has made weak minded people and soft brain people think that, you know, we don't need a mask and we can just survive that way. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, if you look at the people that are dying a lot of people of color mm-hmm. have died because mm-hmm. of not having masks or not being prepared or not having access to health care yeah. but some died because they didn't think that it was true sure so they put themselves in that situation which is <sighs> ironic because a lot of white voters did the same thing because they listened to trump and mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why he lost georgia yeah the amount definitely. of people that died in that state that were going to vote for him mm-hmm. would have tipped the scales on his favor, but he killed his own supporters. Yeah, uh, yeah, he not to wear a mask. Totally killed his constituency. But honestly, Trump saw a, a dropped a missed opportunity at the top when the pandemic began. Because if he had two brain cells, he would have thought, "Let me make face masks and put my name on the face mask." Or put make America great again on said face mask. That way you could have your constituency covered from the top of their head down to their chin. But you didn't do that, sir. You missed the opportunity and killed people in the process. A missed opportunity for an egomaniac like him that should seem like But I think he helped us. I think Oh the sure. Best, the best friend of Democrats sure. was Trump. He was crazy. <laughs> he, yeah, right. It's like it's like the the like he he was working for us. He was working for Nancy Pelosi by telling people not to wear masks. So sure. when they committed a crime, we saw who they were. Sure. Oh, gosh. two when yes. they went and stormed the Capitol and being they were being terrorists mm-hmm. and traitors to this country, we saw who they were. Sure. I think the most heartbreaking images that I saw of the Capitol riots were not actually of the Capitol riots themselves, but the photos of the aftermath where you saw black men sweeping up the mess that these angry white men have made. And I thought it was a really clear and sad depiction. It's telling of what America has always been. I mean, sure. You know, the MVP of 2020 were black women. Yeah. For sure. Black women made things happen that yeah. nobody else made happen. And, you know, prove me wrong here. I'll, I'll sit here and if you want to comment and send messages, no. prove me wrong. I, I think, think everybody right. did a great job of doing whatever they had to do. But black women really stepped it up in 2020 to make changes to happen. And, you know, I can tell you that Biden running alone wouldn't have won him 
completely everything, but right. running with, you know, Vice President Harris got him the, the presidentship. I mean, sure. it's a narrow margin, sure. but they won. But also, I think it's indicative of how much work this country has to do, because, yes, we depend very heavily on black women to get out the word for the vote, but also show up at the voting booth and inspire their loved ones to vote. Meanwhile, as you just said not too long ago, the medical field doesn't care about us. I would be lying, Drew, sitting here as a 33-year-old woman who, who has no children. I could not say in good faith... Yeah, I, uh, I I feel totally comfortable about giving birth. I don't. And giving birth in the United States, the way that our medical system is set up, makes me nervous. Let's be real. If Serena Williams narrowly escaped with her life and she is Serena, greatest of all time athlete, Williams, what hope do the rest of us have, have yeah. which is a very real fear and conundrum that a lot of black women have even with her money she couldn't yeah she couldn't get it there you know it's like she yeah. had to keep telling them something's wrong sure something is wrong and something is wrong sure it's like you care about our voices but you don't care about our health our well-being our mental stamina you care about our black girl magic i'm sure you're convinced that we keep it in some jar of cocoa butter somewhere in a special place <laughs> but <laughs> but you don't care enough about us to keep us alive and that's the other shoe that has to drop and it's so one thing to praise here's us here's the action part uh -huh. of the conversation, which is what we have to do to change it. One, it's always great to educate yourself and to know sure. this. I mean, history will repeat itself and people don't know or maybe didn't know or, or act like they don't know. But whenever there has been a flourishing black community, besides Tulsa, because Tulsa wasn't the only one, people mm -hmm. say, oh, Tulsa, oh my God, how horrible. It happened in South Carolina as well. Right. I think the sad thing about the Tulsa uh race wars for sure was the fact that people didn't know that Tulsa happened until Watchmen came out. Yeah. Mind you, Watchmen is a science fiction show. Yeah. That was a true historical event, which also goes to show you how skewed our education system is when teaching African-American history. It often feels like there is a disconnect. It's like slavery, the civil rights movement, that's all you get. We need more context than that. There is a lot of ugliness that has happened to black Americans, to brown Americans that our history books don't teach because they are written by white men who would like to preserve the innocence of America uh, at, at the expense of telling the true historical accounts of the ugly racist history that we have endured and are still enduring. You know, there was a... There was an article from the 1800s that was talking about how there's these Mexicans in the border mm. are going to destroy the new Republic of Texas. Yeah. And, you know, the funny part about that is that those Mexicans were probably there before all the criminals mm -hmm. came to Texas because that's where they were pushing the criminals. They were pushing yeah. them to Texas. So sure. it wasn't like they were getting upstanding great characters. They were like, this is the cream of yeah. the crop coming to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> let's, 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 this is the best of the best is coming to Texas. No. The people that were going to Texas were getting pushed down there. And a yeah. lot of people who were running away from the law went to Texas to try to get away from them. And then the Rangers, you know, of course, the Texas Rangers and everybody's like, oh, my God. You know, there was a name 
that they had in Spanish for them. And it's basically just letting people know that these guys are killers. And they oh. they took out a whole town because they were looking for someone and they didn't find him. And there was a little town that maybe had about 10 houses and everybody died. Kids, women, old people, young people, everybody died. And then there's a story of a man who went into San Antonio, took the train mm -hmm. to go see a doctor because he broke his arm. Oh. And someone said the there's a Mexican pain. by the train track trying to do something. And the Rangers killed him. They tried to arrest oh. him. And he was like, no, I'm just, I need to go to the doctor. And somehow he ended up dead. You know, there's also, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a podcast right now called Chicano Squad about the death of, you know, Joe Campos, mm. who was a serviceman who was on vacation or came back from Vietnam. And he was murdered by cops. Mm. And one of them threw, and they threw him in the in the river because they were like, um, one of them said, "I want to see this Mexican swim." <gasps> oh my gosh! So after he was beaten unconsciously or almost dead or half dead, <sighs> they threw him in the water. So it's it's like these things of history where, you know, towns have been wiped out. Yeah. This has happened over and over again. Yeah, definitely. And I keep saying this, and I'm going to say it again: Black people just want to be treated like everybody else mm -hmm. imagine if black people wanted revenge imagine if brown yeah. and black people wanted revenge because they don't they just want they're right. like you know the best thing I saw on Twitter because Twitter is getting really great with these one liners is like, <laughs> we're not asking you to shoot them like you shoot us sure. we're asking you not to shoot not to shoot us like you don't shoot them. Right, exactly. I think it was the late Toni Morrison who said, I'll know that we've reached a, po a point of racial equity when a white unarmed teenager gets shot in the back the way that a black unarmed teenager yeah. would get shot in the back. Now, clearly, we don't want anyone to die, but I do think it's important that we think about the fact that uh, tragedy porn and trauma porn is something that the black and Hispanic communities are subjected to constantly. When you see an unarmed black man or woman killed in police custody, it is replayed on every news outlet on a loop. And it's played, and that has a, an effect on not just African-American adults, but our kids, our children are seeing this and are being subjected to these images on a loop every day. I don't know about you, I've never seen a white, unarmed man, woman, or child kill, like shot and killed and then played on a loop the way that... Yeah, because it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. Yeah, well, it was, but sadly, black pain sells, and that's yeah. the problem that needs to be amended in this country with all the other problems that need to be amended. You know, I I have this thing about, you know, you know, the neighborhood that I live in. Mm -hmm. I live in Highland Park. I know you're at Glassell, right? Yeah. Yeah, neighbors. I used to live yeah. in Glassell too. I used to live on the other side of Verdugo Bar. Um, so this whole area is really, you know, I've sort of been accustomed to this area. Mm -hmm. But I do remember, like, thinking during all these, you know, protests and the marches and the beginning of COVID, that there were so many places here they were, like, all about social justice and they had mm -hmm. all their signs. But they still don't understand how to deal with us. Yeah. And so, you know, you say, you know, Black Lives Matter, you say, sure. you know, social justice now, social justice now. But then when we go and shop at these places, mm -hmm. 
they don't treat us the way. You know, I walked in there with a mask and, and yeah. I was trying to talk to somebody at a at a liquor store here in, in Highland Park on Figueroa. And, you know, they have a little bit higher end liquor. Sure. And the guy totally was ignoring me. But, you know, another white kid came in, no mask. Mm-hmm. And he was totally having a conversation with him. It's because those those white dollars are valued. Your brown dollars yeah. with masks and, and being socially responsible, apparently those are not good enough. Apparently they don't the last, spend I, I the same way. I think that was way. one of the last times I stepped foot in that door because I'm like, you yeah. know what? I'm going to take my money away from this place. A hundred percent. I had a vintage store. I was in a vintage store pre-pandemic and it had a leave your bags at the front policy. And I, I guess I didn't necessarily assume that leave your bags at the front meant leave your purses at the front. And so I was essentially stopped, told you have to leave your bag up front, grabbed my wallet and my phone and said, okay, well, here's my bag. Not only to have a well-off white woman walk in right behind me with a stroller, baby bag, purse, diaper bag, shopping on through. And I just thought, well, what is it about my stuff? Like, how come I got stopped, but this person who has many bags and many trappings to put things in um, is not stopped? Yeah. And I think that all has to go back to who we view as a threat. I don't know about you, but I think something that needs to be looked at in this country is gun ownership. We see black people or Hispanic people with guns and and it's like, oh my God, those people are dangerous. Get those guns away. But we see white men with guns. It is such a normalized image that is still just as dangerous, if not more. Let us not forget, most high school shootings are committed by white men. Very few, if any, are committed by black women or black men. But when we look at something like gun ownership, because white people feel like it is so tied to their their right as an American and should have the right to bear arms whenever and wherever they see fit, we don't give that same uh, license to African-Americans. Funny story, NAGA, not to be confused with MAGA, is the National Association of African-American Arms. Ugh, I'm, I'm butchering that name, but it's essentially... Um, a coalition of African-American gun owners, NAGA, who came together as a force before MAGA was ever a uh, a movement, an ideology, some, something like that. Um, but they're working to change the way that we look at gun ownership in the United States because black people by and large have owned guns, but been uh, looked as a threat for owning them but also feel like they have to protect themselves because the police don't come to our aids or don't keep us protected in the same way that they keep white com- white uh, white companies or white people protected. You know, the funny thing about that is that um, with, with all this hate speech and all this MAGA movement has done is it mobilized, you know, and I go back to the words of, you know, uh, Killer Mike is like organized, prepared, you know, and like the way he was saying all this stuff, mm-hmm. people took it to heart. Sure. And the MAGA movement did one of the best things ever, which is like everybody says, oh, you woke the sleeping giant and then nothing really changes. Mm-hmm. But this time, everybody got helped. Yeah. 
you know there, there's voices coming out of everywhere sure there's flags that said you know yellow and, and black unite and yeah there was like brown power supports black power and stop killing our black brothers and you know it was everybody was sort of just getting together and doing that people were starting getting educated yeah people were starting rallying i mean everybody can say whatever they want about millennials and i keep saying the same thing they organized themselves <laughs> yes. there's a bunch of white young women and mm-hmm. young men putting themselves in front of black protesters yeah um people got educated people started reading all the amendments and everything and all the bills that were going to pass people sure. started figuring out who was doing what and what was dirt people started being conscious calling out their own family mm-hmm. turning in their own family members who were at the insurrection i mean it, it did everything but one of the things that it did that's very unique it started this whole movement of black people learning how to use guns going to mm-hmm. fire ranges starting yeah. becoming gun owners mm-hmm. because they were like we need to defend ourselves these people yeah. are crazy look at look at what they did in the capital sure and it's funny here's people that are at the capital saying we want to take our country back because it's all these bad things are happening mm-hmm. and not only are they breaking and entering into a federal building with mm-hmm. guns but they're beating police officer and killing police officers and then they're claiming blue lives matter sure and oh like we're we're just patriots and everything that they did was not be a patriot they were right. traitors too they were hurting people hurting cops they were looting mm-hmm. and they were destroying property and it was federal property sure i mean hurting cops that were also tacitly in support of what was happening at the capitol Right. Like we can't we can't just like glaze over that fact. That's no. for sure. Yeah. There was cops that were just like, come on in. Absolutely. Come, right I also right. think from a feminist perspective and just from a woman's perspective, I think the amount of toxic masculinity that was on display was also something that I could not unsee. They, they grabbed the female reporter and pushed her to the ground and threatened her, took her camera, broke her camera. I mean, that was that's what these patriots. Right real traders were doing um but it just i mean tiktok is such a, sha- a savage place right now i love <laughs> they don't give a fuck they were doing this bit where they were like the 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 you know the insurrection was happening and mm-hmm. they were playing the cops and they were like no stop stop don't come in no oh. no stop like they were just playing like they were just being funny about it but it was true that's exactly right. how the some of the cops acted sure like, oh don't come through here and then when the people walked through they were like all right go ahead man yeah, I mean, it had to be somewhat of an inside job because they walked right through the Capitol like they knew exactly where they were going. Two years ago, or maybe, no, actually, no, this is when Obama was president, I think, or when he first left office, a black woman made a U-turn at the White House by mistake and got mm-hmm. shot mm-hmm. by Capitol Police. I remember that. Mm-hmm. In her yeah. car, made a U-turn, got shot by Capitol Police. These motherfuckers were going in the Capitol. yes with zip ties and they were looking for people to kidnap yes and now it's it's treated as like we should all be afraid of this it's like if you are a person of color you knew that this was possible and we have been afraid since trump got into office yeah we were i I think we were just waiting for when this was going to happen yeah definitely for this shoe to drop because people and then it happened at the best time ever because it just happened when not only had he lost but it happened when they were trying to figure out what to do with him next. Mm-hmm. And it was just horrible. It proved every point. Money was 
money was at the line. Sure. Democracy was at the line. You know, the sanity of this country was, and it, everybody got to see. It's like almost like we were been brown people and black people had been telling the rest mm-hmm. of America, "Look, these guys are crazy." Yeah. And then they got crazy and you were like see we told you yeah definitely i mean it absolutely goes to show that a for some people a problem is not a problem until it's a problem for them because we also saw that with covid too it's like well i don't know anyone that's died from covid i don't have covid and then they started dying exactly and it's like oh okay well maybe had you just listened and put the mask on you wouldn't be in this predicament but i think also uh in terms of the trump supporters I think there's also there's always something to be said about the frustration that certain parts of white America feel when people of color progress. It's like, oh, people of color are in positions of power that we think we should be. We will revolt. It's this idea of like if they're getting, then we're getting something taken away from yes. us. And that and that, you know, in 1889 there was probably about from the Carolina state, there was probably about five black congressmen. Mm-hmm. And they, there was such an uproar that there was black men in Congress representing that state yep. that a mayor of a, of a town did everything possible to get them out of it and mm-hmm. literally burn a newspaper, just a building, just to stop and silence everybody and just to get them out. And eventually, you know, these these men were no longer elected and they actually moved out of the state because it was just a oh. horrible thing that they did and that's the thing that i'm probably going to go into in the podcast later on um, sure in, in the future dates i'm going to do these podcast episodes of history Ooh, um, i, love... I want to kind of talk about it and stuff like that and um but i feel like going back to the original statement it was like action so one of the things that i think happened that's really beautiful not only these you know black and brown people are now becoming more aware of gun safety and gun laws and you know choosing to buy guns not i don't know if it's always a good idea for everybody but if you own a gun gun safety is very important sure before i even shot a gun myself i took 14 classes in gun Mm -hmm. safety and then i was allowed to you know hold the gun um but economic protest is very important yes and that is where we put our dollars who we shop and you know promoting artists promoting people mm-hmm. you know Kara walker amazing yep. artist black artist um cynthia st james genevieve, one of my genevieve favorite Geinhard, she does great stuff one actually one of her pieces is it says um it says sell to black collectors and mm-hmm. that's an art piece itself just to like promote that because black collectors do want to own art we love sure black people love art brown people love art we we all want to be included in this new america and money is there to be made and people are not paying attention so buying black owned brown owned supporting your local places i no longer go to this liquor shop but i Mm. go somewhere else where a brown man greets me every day and is very happy to see me and i'll just ask for certain things and he may not have them but he can get them for me you know i try not to get as angry because then I could be angry all day (laughs) right because there's just so much stupidity and so much ignorance so instead I will do it in a way that it it will pain you and you will be hurt by it I will take my money away from you sure I will start buying stuff and I know that you're big on stationery huge and I love stationery I know there's a stationery place here but I'm not really um, you know I don't really go to it as much as I used to 
But um, there's a company called Hija de tu Madre. Ooh. Which is, uh, you know, daughter of your mother. Mm-hmm. But in, a, in Spanish, it's a saying that's kind of like mean, like Hija de tu Madre, when you do something bad. But oh. somebody, but this woman who's in, who's in charge of this company took it and made it her own. And, uh, and she basically made this company where it's like, you know, fun goods, stationery, right. other stuff. And, sure. Um, and, um, you know, she sells cups, she sells stickers, she sells mm-hmm. books, she sells notebooks, sweaters, sure. journals. Um, and a lot of them say like, you know, uh, bruja, or they say chingona, yes. you know, and jefa, yeah. which means boss. Um, but I love the whole saying, hija de tu madre, because like sometimes, you know, when your parents yell at you and they say this stuff, uh-huh. and she took it and made it a powerful statement to herself. Absolutely. I am the love that. daughter of my mother. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing. So check them out. They have nice little stationaries. And this is part of us kind of sort of changing, um, you know, our protest into action, which mm-hmm. is an economical way of like saying, look, I'm going to take the dollars away from these people that don't deserve it and don't really sure. care about me. Sure. They just want my money. I'm yeah. going to give it to somebody else who does want my money. And it's not an attack to them. I don't no. You know, we're not saying all oh, white people are evil or, or all this stuff. That's not that's not what we're saying. That's ridiculous. What we're saying is we're going to take our money and put it in places where we need to put it so we can develop our people. We can develop yeah. our commerce because these are people that have mindful um, practices towards mm-hmm. us. If I walk into the store, they're going to be like, hey, man, I'm so happy to see you. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that since you love stationery, <laughs> this is what I, I did check out Greer's in Chicago. They're, they've got some great They've stuff. got some There's great stuff. Crazy scissors that are like amazing, but yeah. a little pricey, but they're like, you know, I was like, do I really need to spend that much money on scissors? But they're really nice, so. Yeah, I mean, how you shop, that's an everyday form of protest. For any of your listeners who were hardcore protesters, first things first, thank you. Secondly, if you are still looking to keep that energy going, how you spend and where you spend is an easy everyday way to uh, engage in protest. I think in the way that when we are shopping for a new item, we say, how much money do I want to spend? What brands or stores do I have loyalty to and how quickly do I need it? I think a a great fourth question to tack on to that is, is there a black owned company that makes this product? Is there a Hispanic owned company that makes this product or an Asian owned company or a woman owned company or an LGBTQ company that makes this particular product? It's a great habit that I got into a couple of years ago that it's really, really easy to get into. It's just one extra step in the shopping Uh, or I guess I should say in the online shopping steps that we now go through. But an extra Google search of black-owned toothpaste company, because I had to do that search last night because I am dangerously close to being out of toothpaste, or (laughs) black-owned toilet paper company. I think when we talk about spending with black-owned, brown-owned companies, it doesn't just have to be products that are um, occasion-specific or culture-specific. Yeah, Black and, if, and if you're offended by like the fact that we're saying shop, you know, black or brown owned, sure. um, maybe there's something that you have to check in, in yourself, you know, like it's not an attack against white. Like these corporations yeah. that are selling you the toilet paper, they don't care about you. They don't care what color you are. They yeah. just want your dirty butt to get wiped by their paper. Sure. And, you know, it's all a business of shit. That's but also... Is. 
white companies have an easier time getting financed than black companies, yeah. than brown companies. They don't have to worry about the same things that brown people have to worry about when they're starting a business. Sure, and generally, black and brown, Asian as well, uh, we're, we tend to be accidental entrepreneurs, meaning we don't necessarily go into entrepreneurship because we want to be, we go into it because there's a product or a service that is unavailable to us Necessity. that we need. Yeah, exactly. It's the so invention of the cre it's creativity right there. It's like, oh, I can't get that. Fine, I'll go get it myself. Sure. Yeah, like unbiased opinion. Uh, minorities are incredibly industrious and very inventive, and we make companies that stick around and last because we make products that are audience-centered, as opposed to self-centered. I'm not saying that all white companies are self-centered companies but do we how many coffee shops does los angeles need how many yoga studios <laughs> do we need you know what i mean but products that are tailored to people in our communities that are as everyday as band-aids and toothbrushes to as fantastic as a new handbag a new pair of boots or home decor these are companies where black asian latino we all have stakes in these companies but because we don't get the platform that white companies do or because we don't have the access to the platform that white companies do we're constantly lagging behind so yeah i don't say i don't think encouraging people to shop minority owned is a bad thing we want these companies to grow and have just as much competition with the white companies as possible because don't you want the best products yeah that's the thing it's like look if, if you're getting offended by any of this stuff, you need more brown friends. Or black friends. <laughs> That's the truth. Because if you had brown Second friends or black friends, yeah, you would understand their plight. And you would say, oh, you know what? That makes sense. Like, I want to invest in this friendship. I want to invest sure. in the fact that, you know, people that look like you are, are really struggling to get their businesses off the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and in general, everybody needs black and brown friends. If your group is all white, you're missing out. We're pretty rad. I'm just saying you're missing amazing. out. And I know that some people are like, oh, we're hippies and there's not that many brown and black hippies. No, there's a shitload uh, of brown and black hippies. And I yeah, know who them, says that? And you will recognize them by their patchouli smells and, you know, sure. and, and their, you know, and, and the way they are. And, and they believe in the same things you believe and they love hanging out in the desert. And, you sure. know, they're they're out there. And if you're in a different crowd and you love hip hop or you love this, or you like you need more brown friends. You need more yeah. brown friends, Asian friends, Middle Eastern friends. Because the more that you have these people around you, you start to see them as human beings and you start mm -hmm. to understand. I was educated by somebody when I was saying like, oh, you know, these guys are treating women bad and they have daughters too. And they should think about that. And somebody corrected me and said, no, they should just think about them as another human being. It doesn't matter if she, they have a daughter or if they don't have a daughter. They yeah. should see that woman as a human being. And that was true. And that's something mm -hmm. I learned. And it doesn't sure. pain anybody to learn something or to correct <laughs> the way you think. <laughs> right? It d doesn't hurt anybody to say. It's like the same thing with like our trans and, and you sure. know, brothers and sisters. Like we have to protect them. There's nothing wrong with us seeing them in a different light like maybe you don't understand why a man would want to be a woman mm -hmm. you shouldn't keep calling him a man you should be calling her a woman who she yeah. is everybody has a right to be who they are that's how sure. wonderful this country is and the more that we kind of move along and mesh together the easier it is and then we can start focusing on the real shit like <laughs> education <laughs> we are 25 in the world in education yeah we are a stupid nation 
Yeah. Yeah. We need to get smart. We need to get smart. We need to get our economy up. We need to start depending on oil and giving other countries our money. Those are the things that we need to do. Like, you want to be angry about something? Be angry about dirty water in Flint, Michigan. Sure. I mean, look, the best things happen with a little bit of motivation and a pissed off attitude. That's when real change can be made. A hundred percent. I also feel like in terms of diversifying friend groups, I think that the more that we can understand different perspectives, uh, the better off we will be. I think that uh, there there was a phrase that went around. Uh, I went to a, I would say, predominantly black elementary school, and the the phrase was, you don't have to understand another culture, but you have to respect the culture. And I think that that's a saying and a phrase of a bygone era. Because yes, respecting culture is great, but understanding and respecting culture, that's the magic sauce that's going to make all of the other problems that we have, that we need to uh, rally against and fight against, it's that magic sauce that's gonna keep the fight going. And believe me, that we struggle it in our own communities too, you know, like mm-hmm. I've dated women from all kinds of races and I've got comments from that. And my girlfriend now is, she's white and you know, sometimes I get the comments or I get the things or maybe sure. she doesn't understand my culture. And it's like, well, this is this is why we're together because mm-hmm. we found a common thread that we loved about each other. And then we try to learn about each other's culture and we teach each totally. other, you know? And also, yeah. you know, something about what she goes through as a woman in a professional field that I don't understand. Yeah. Even though she's a white woman, she's still a woman. Sure. And in some places, I can say something and people would be like, oh, he might be right. But if she Uh says something, they're going to be like, oh, be quiet. Yeah, definitely. Or very common uh, to be a black woman. Generally, we have to choose between our gender or our race. It's like, well, whose problems do you want to fight against? (laughs) And it's like, well, well, I want to fight both. (laughs) You know what I mean? But also, it's not unheard of to say that in terms of fighting for racial justice, it's more common for black women to be viewed at and aligned as black men than for black women to be viewed as women first and black second. Yeah. And in general, in terms of, you know, needing to come to someone's aid, fighting for someone's rights, protection, generally women, black women specifically, still go criminally underprotected because we're either viewed as too strong and can fight for ourselves or not strong enough but not worth being protected and fighting for yeah and i think that's also what's happening a lot to a lot of trans women right now they're becoming sort of like oh well we you don't even exist if black women are at this level then trans women are way lower than that and um, you know, just like indigenous women are disappearing and, and being, you know, at a large number, alarming number. Yeah. Trans women are being killed at an alarming number. Yeah. And I think that we have to recognize that, too. And that's something that we need to address. Hey, this yeah. is dangerous. There's a whole population of people dying. Sure, definitely. I think that's that's very true within the, the uh, I guess, more popular culture. But I think also within the African-American community, there's a lot of work to be done. Yes. Regarding LGBTQ education and how we still need to stand up to and stand up with and protect our queer populations who are black, our trans populations who are black, even though for some older black generations to be queer or to be trans is unheard of or doesn't align with their uh, their religious beliefs, yeah. which religion is a whole it separate a lot. issue. And I feel like this is a great time we're stuck at home let's learn about something new you know yeah i want to bring back the pen pal thing we're like you can get 
you can get a brown pen pal and you can write to each other yes. send each other pictures and be like yo i ate this today and then people are like i don't know what that is here's my mayonnaise sandwich and people are like oh, i don't like to eat that mayonnaise but at I least love we know that each you other say that no i love that you say that because right at the beginning of the pandemic i got a stack of really beautiful postcards done by a local artist yeah. and i bought a bunch of stamps because our post office at the time was not doing well and i write postcards to my friends once a month because right. physical mail your is way podcast email. we'll talk to my podcast and start <laughs> the pen pal system and talk Let's to do our, it. our people and i want to get everybody involved i want everybody like to just meet a brown friend like you know you yeah. don't get a brown friend get a brown friend like mm-hmm. you don't have to at least hang out with them well right now you can't because you know you're gonna get true. COVID and shit but true. you can write to them and be like yo why do you like avocado toast so much i don't know what that's <laughs> about. like you know like that's crazy and then the other person can be like, yo, why do you like this thing? You know, it's like, so, you know, and then you could be like, no, I don't like that. I like avocado toast, too. So just ask sure. me why you liked it, you know? Yeah, technology is great, but it killed the pen pal, and I think it needs to come back Yeah, let's get force. the pen pals going. Let's write to each other. Like, you know, people don't know how to write. Like, you know, you don't have to be in cursive. That's really... You know, sure. I think it's a lost art, but I mean, if you can write something, it's, it would be nice to get something in the mail. You know what you're doing? You ain't doing nothing. You're I was gonna home, say, been watching, you know, Bling Empire or I don't know. Okay, what, what, don't make fun of those of us that bl- that uh, binge watched Bling Empire. You're stabbing me, Drew. It hurts. Yeah, Bling Bling Empire is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I gotta um, I gotta watch stuff with my girlfriend sometime where I'm just like, you gotta make that compromise. Oh, it's good. I mean, watching, listen, I binged it in two days, and there was a part of me that was like, you know what? We have seen white people act buck wild yeah. in all sorts of fashions in reality TV. It's time for somebody else to. What? to yeah, uh, like, why can't we watch Asian people who are dripping in just, diamonds and designers doing it? It's TV that I can't, I, like, subscribe to, but it's just crazy to, to see what's going on in this show. And, sure. And, you know, it's like... Um, I don't know. Sometimes it's it's crazy, and I'm like, all right, I'm into it. I'll watch this thing, and I sure. and sometimes I just watch it to laugh and be like, damn, these people are crazy, you know. But I think more broadly, representation is important. Like yeah, I've definitely. made a personal stance where I don't watch television shows if they could not feature people of color. Uh, I remember when Workaholics was a big show. Oh yeah. And love Workaholics, but there was a part of me that was like. You couldn't have black people as the lead guys on this show. You couldn't yeah. have Hispanic men as the lead guys on that show because then it turns into cultural commentary. Yeah. Because that show deals or dealt, I should say, a lot with fringe drug culture. Yeah, and, and it only worked because there were nature. three goofy white guys that were just right. in that thing. And there was black people in it, in the show, and there was brown people in the show, but they weren't the main characters, and it wouldn't have worked with a brown guy in it. And do we allow black and brown people to be um, as as unhinged, funny, uh, engaging in all different types of debaucherous activities? We don't really allow that of black and brown people yeah. on TV writ large. And I think it's it's sort of, you know, a lot of this stereotyping and the way things work in Hollywood has sort of spilled over into the nerddom. You know, mm. like the nerds had an issue with Rosario Dawson playing a character that was beloved in Star Wars. Yep. And I, I actually want to do another podcast where I start where I have another person and we talk about, you know, nerd stuff <laughs> through the eyes of a brown and black person. Um, because I feel like there's a lot of racism that's buried into this nerd stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people go nuts. But like you look at Star Wars and it's like, they're just pushing it. You know, they got women sure. in the leads. They got sure. women beating everybody's ass. They got yep. 
a Latino man being the Mandalorian. They got a black man who is a stormtrooper. That was crazy. A black yeah. man stormtrooper. That was like, dude, mm -hmm. that changed everything. And you know, and then all the stuff is just changing so much. And I think that the people have to be more and more inclusive. Um, one of the things that Marvel did is they grab all these characters from obscurity and made them into main characters. And I'm really yeah. excited that they put this woman, Monica Rambeau, which is, you know, the first captain marvel they put mm. her in this new show and they showcased her and it's a it's a black woman and it's like it's great to see these characters that we know mm -hmm. now become the forefront in what the future of this television is going to be and i feel like sure it's great it's great that everybody's involved you know like yeah you know i, I i'm telling you this because there's people in germany that come to america and don't want to hang out with white people they want to see everybody else Right. Because they're <laughs> the same thing over and over again. Like, let's yeah. get everybody else integrated. Let's just start mixing and knowing everybody. And, you know, and this is why I want to start this pen pal thing. Like, get yourself a brown friend. I don't know if you can relate to this, but before the show Insecure came out, anytime I would have uh, friends visit not from Los Angeles, they'd be like, you know, take me to go see L.A., which was always code for take me to go see the nicer parts of LA that I see on TV. Your Santa yeah. Monica's, your West Hollywood's, your Hollywood Hills, uh, certain parts of Studio City. And now, since Insecure is the massive success that it is, I have friends pre-pandemic who would come into town and be like, take me to where they film Insecure. I'm like, I want to see the real Los <laughs> Angeles. I want to see that part. And it's like, what well, you, you want to see actual Los Angeles, like the oh. Los Angeles that most people hang out in, eat in, experience, thrive in, live in on a daily basis, happily. I, I had a friend that I met at a photo conference in Palm Springs come to LA from London and say, mm. oh, I want to go eat Mexican food. And I said, okay, cool, I'll take you. And he goes, no, 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 no. I want to go eat Mexican food where you go eat Mexican food. <laughs> As if you were going to take him to yeah. some whitewashed Mexican joint. Because, because I guess he had come here to L.A. and they took him to like, you know, some Mexican food place on the west side. Mm. And he was like telling people that he went there and people were like, oh, that's disgusting. That place is not really Mexican food. Mm. Um, El Coyote, I think it's called. Oh, um, yes. By the Beverly Center. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And so then I went and I drove them all the way to Boyle Heights and then of East course. L.A. And I got him tacos off of a truck in a what used to be an old um, blockbuster and Ooh. he could not get enough of that and he was telling me like even when he went back to london he's like damn remember those tacos we got at that truck mm -hmm. he's like, man that was so good and i was just like that's how you know that's how it is like you find these beautiful niches you know and yeah. stuff like and like comfort la i love that place that's in oh. it's, it's like off off skid row but still close to skid row but mm -hmm. they make these chicken wings and they kind of have this dressing that's a little like spicy but also mm. a little asiatic i'm not sure okay if that's based on that but you know that's such a great little place and it's always these places that are so random that you would never sure. know and it's like this is really what la is about yeah it's definitely places yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of good soul food in Los Angeles, sad to say. Yeah. So when someone wants black cooking, my the first place I take them is Little Ethiopia. Full stop. That That's is where good. we that go. That is so good. Just because yeah. I, well, it's I just also a little like, strip on Fairfax. Yeah. You know, between you also like can like you know Pico top and off Olympic, but yes, man, all you those places. Like, like I've only had two of the four or five restaurants that are there. Yeah, it's not many. Yeah, and. 
but I mean, it's just, it's just a really amazing. There was this place up in Inglewood called the Greasy Spoon, I think. Yes, I know that a, place. A Manchester, yeah, and uh-huh. I used to go there. And it was the only time that I, I mean, I went to New Orleans and had some grits and I was like, this isn't really good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is no offense to New Orleans. I know some people are like going to be super upset, but the, the place at the Greasy Spoon, the, the grits were so good. Mm-hmm. It kind of inspired me to make grits here at home. So, you know, I can say that I can make a good shrimp and grits here. Okay, well, I want to have some. Oh yeah, uh, once you know, this is I done. we get down at this house. We like Let's we eat really well, and it's like a great thing that we have so many things. Like my girl does, you know, she's Norwegian and Italian, so there's a little mix mm. of that. Sometimes Yum. there's like pickled stuff, and sometimes there's like really heavy Italian food. You know, Ooh. my other roommate, she's a Filipino, and so there's different kinds of foods there. Drew, you it, are eating a, good over there. It's a good there. house. Yes, it sounds delicious. It's a good house. Yeah, and there's more liquor than. I mean, we don't drink as much as we used to when COVID started, but there's a lot of liquor in here because she used to work in the bar industry. My, uh. One of my roommates, so she basically has all this stuff here. And so we have like a whole liquor store if you need it. We can Got make it. you all kinds of drinks. So wait, I have a question for you. Yeah. Where's your favorite uh, dining spot to take any sort of out-of-town guest? Whew, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> there is a Cuban restaurant called El Colmado. Ooh. which is on Pico by Vermont. And um, they do Cuban food, just like Versailles. Uh-huh. But the same yeah, people yeah. that were working there when I was 10 years old are still working there now. Stop it. Yes. And um, the food's still great. They're not very friendly. It's just That's the same the way they were restaurant. when I was a kid. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the same way they were when I was just a kid. They're just like that. Um, I'm a big fan of... Um, chicken wings mm-hmm. and so Comfort LA is probably one of the places that I would take people got it um, there's a Japanese called place Hyundai in Little Tokyo that I love oh, I it's don't know in the place. mall it's all the way on top and they have amazing mm. amazing amazing food Hyundai is great if you're a meat eater I love it Okay, I gotta. Ch- I'll check it out. I don't. Yeah. I feel like I need to explore more of the Little Tokyo Mall. I feel like I generally yeah. stay street level because the mall has so much going on that I feel like I get overwhelmed and don't know the best places to go. But one of my favorite restaurants now is Hippo, and it's a little uh, biased because Hippo is here in Highland Park. <laughs> um, Mexican chef. Sure. And you know he came from. Uh, the great mind of Mosa, which is a great, amazing woman chef. Mm. Uh, Mosa, the pizzeria in, uh, on, I think it's uh, Melrose and Highland. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think some, some of the best pizza has come out of there. And he now has mm. this place called Hippo, which has amazing drinks. Mm-hmm. The bar manager there is an amazing Claire. Shout out to Hippo and all their people. Um, <laughs> And maybe it's because it's Highland Park and I'm a little biased, but I think it's probably one of the best restaurants in L.A. Um, With that said, let's get into the lightning round. I'm going to ask you some quick questions. And one of them is, what's your favorite place to eat? Ooh, okay. Uh, If we're talking about a meal. Yes. You go out to to a meal when you could. Yang Chow. I've never oh, had a dang. never. I have that guy never always makes fun of me because oh. I go in there with my Clippers jacket. Oh really? I'm a big Kobe's fan. And he oh. will just roast me 
even when I'm just waiting for a table and he's like, oh, I have no table for you. I'm yep. sorry. But mm-hmm. if you take the jacket off, I can get your table right away. No he's traders such, here. Yeah. He's such a he's such a fan. Yeah. Uh, favorite takeout because of COVID. Favorite takeout because of COVID. Ooh, that's a. Ooh. Um. I might have to say Yang Chow again. I've been hitting oh. up Yang Chow quite a bit, but I also love a good hand-packed quart of ice cream. And without a doubt, my favorite, favorite ice creamery, if that's even a word, in Los Angeles is Mashti Malone. Listen, Ooh. forget about Salt and Straw. Forget <laughs> about all these other, like, artisan. You know highs. we got Magpie here in Highland Park now. Forget about that, too. Oh, okay. Go to Mashti Malone's. I believe it is Armenian-owned. It's either Armenian or Persian-owned. It is Malone, a guys. small strip mall on Hollywood right near Sunset. It has the best ice cream flavors, traditional ice cream flavors you'll ever have. And then it's got a bunch of either Persian or Armenian-specific flavors. You can literally eat all around that republic just at Mashti's alone. There's also a great dive bar called The Woods there as well, so you can yes. actually like have a night of it. Yeah, The Woods is cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, what is your style now with COVID? Ooh. And I how like- do you, you know, like, it's hard to be fashionable, but what's your style now? Sure. I mean, I like to say it's urban contemporary because at the end of the day, I'm still doing my oversized daishiki jumpsuits. Like I was doing those before the pandemic and I wonderfully, because it's a big, comfy working jumpsuit, I've got like five or six of them. I've stayed pretty consistently wearing those. However, I've also been purchasing a lot of leather during the pandemic. Okay. I don't, ent- I can't give you a psychological reason as to why, but I have purchased leather pants, leather skirt, leather jacket, a couple of pairs of leather shoes. I've been on a big leather kick. I got into There's- really into like these puffy Japanese men's pants Ooh. that are really tapered and almost like tight cool. at the bottom, but then they're puffy on top. So they're really like streetwear popular, but for the Dope. house, they're super relaxing. Yeah, I, <laughs> as weird as it sounds to say, I've been wearing leather pants around the house. I can't, maybe it's my way of feeling fashionable. Well, I always pick one day to like get a little dressed up. Same. And then after that, like, you know, I'm probably wearing shorts or maybe wearing leisure pants and stuff like that. Uh, what <laughs> album or song got you through 2020? Santa Gold's Master of My Make Believe was probably the default. Um, that's just like... I, that's my musical comfort spot, but I also want to just mention Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which feels like it was recorded in quarantine, or at least it sounds that way. Yeah. So I felt like I would go on my morning runs listening to a very frustrated Fiona Apple singing in quarantine, and it was like it was like she was singing my emotions through that album, so it felt like it kept me grounded and sane. What's your guilty pleasure as far as TV right now? I know you watch The Bling Empire, but what's your guilty pleasure? Ooh, well, I don't know. I mean, pleasure doesn't cause me guilt, but I would say I just started rewatching 30 Rock after a really long time of not. I like binged Bling Empire and have been off and on with community and suddenly 30 30 Rock has come back into my uh, frame of consciousness so I've been watching that whenever I need a laugh or to disconnect 
Shout out to Community, probably one of the best shows on TV. <gasps> Dude, yeah, it is so yeah, good. TV is so good, so smart. Like when you look at oh. and you look at Childish Gambino and Donald yes. Glover, like just the fact that all the stuff that was said paid off so long yeah. after. It's such a smart show. And everyone's stock rose after that. Yeah. Uh, Donald Glover's, Allison Breeze, not, unfortunately, Joel McHale's, I feel like his stock kind of plummeted because also the year that Community got canceled, the soup got canceled. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Community is a sleeper hit. Totally underappreciated. What's, the, what's your favorite COVID junk food? Ooh... Haribo gummy bears have not let me the down. The Star Mix or just the gummy bears? Yes, I've been buying them by the three pound bags. I was like, look, it's we have to buy in bulk. Buying these cute little single servings packets, this is not cutting it. It's all, yeah. yeah, it's also not good for the environment with all these like uh, yeah. packages. So you just I'm need buying a big old bag because then yeah. you only have one bag instead of a bunch of little bags. And Target has them in three pound bags. Just buy two bags at a time, and you, six pounds of gummy bears will hold you for a while. What the What's the first place you're going to go to run once COVID's over? I had a strange feeling you were going to ask me this, and I came with a very ready answer for you. A Korean day spa, specifically <sighs> the Olympic day spa. Yeah. Here's my reasoning. I know a lot of people are like, I want to throw a party. Parties take a long time to plan. I'm trying to get a massage, a facial, scrubbed, eat, and just in general be pampered all in the same place, all within the same day. Because I feel like we all need a little bit of pampering once. Uh, I'm all about that. Yeah, once once yeah. COVID is done, I think everyone deserves to pamper themselves. I, so I didn't really like going to parties even when it was okay. Like, <laughs> too many people. I'm just like, yeah. But like a little day spa where like they're just feeding you food, especially the yeah. Korean ones. Koreans, if they, if Koreans, I mean, they know how to do leisure sure correct. they're gonna outlive us all let's be real asian people yeah. writ large are going to they're outlive gonna americans do it correctly i mean japanese have a certain style but koreans know leisure yeah. like nobody yeah. else and they made it an art form and a business so they're exactly comes to that um i like your hope and nope so let's do a <laughs> let's do a hope and nope of 2021 Okay. I hope that the fight for racial justice and for gender justice keeps going through 2021. Uh, there is a part of me that uh, is afraid that because people became so aware of the of the systemic racism and the injustices that people of color face, people became aware of them because there was a pandemic and we were all stuck at home. So sort of situationally, all of our distractions were not actually distractions anymore. And so I want these fights to continue even as vaccinations are rolling out and people are slowly getting vaccinated and, and feeling more comfortable to go into the world. I hope that we don't get distracted by all of our beloved distractions and lose sight of the fight that people of color have been fighting for years. What about your nope? I would say my nope is washing dishes every day. Nope, <laughs> I'm over it. My dishwasher broke at the beginning of the pandemic. There is one dish dishwasher in my house. It's me and I'm overdoing dishes every single day. So in 2021, nope, I'm getting my dishwasher replaced. I'm I getting just, vaccinated uh, and then bringing a plumber in. Two days ago, I sliced my finger washing Ooh. a cup. And I bought these cheap Ikea Collins cup and I put my <laughs> hand inside of it with a, with a the sponge. sponge and it just 
shattered. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then a big piece of it just went right into my ankle. And I bought, I had recently, I don't know why, I recently had bought this medical super glue. Ooh. And it was the best thing ever. Because it, it was bleeding like crazy. So much blood was coming out. And so basically uh. just got that glue, put it on there, and it stitched it back in. And I was like, yeah. I might need to glue. put that glue in my Burning Man kit. Yeah, it's a it's a medical super glue, so it doesn't burn your skin or doesn't cool. itch or do any of the weird chemicals. It doesn't smell like mm. that, but it's very sticky, so you have to do it right away. Got it. But yeah, Acts I get fast. you on the washing the dishes. For me, I feel like <laughs> the hope is that um, now that all the craziness and the insanity is over, that we start to focus on the things that made us us, and mm. we start to help each other out. Mm-hmm. I feel like one of the things that... I remember about living through 9-11 was that right after that happened, people would help each other out. And, and yeah. I, I hope that after this tragedy that happened, it was the con man Trump, mm-hmm. that now people are getting together and helping each other out and getting to know each other, getting to know their neighbors. Sure. And, you know, I have a good relationship with my neighbor and, you know, people across from here, I try to make sure we can help them out. Mm-hmm. But I, know I think it's also problems. It's important to remember that hope takes work. Yeah. Right. Because hope with no action the next day. Yeah. Yeah, Like hope with no action is just a wish or maybe some empty optimism. But starts with like a helping hand or hello. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, just nod. Um, Nope. I feel like um, I'm kind of over being a consumer. Oh, say more. And I want to now be a producer and not consume so much of everything. You know, everything in moderation, not consume so much products that I buy and I give money to people. I want to just sort of live with the things that I have. Yeah. And not feel like I need to buy something because I'm not allowed to go out. Ooh, true. That hits me. I took an assessment once, you know, COVID started is that I used to spend a lot of money on going out. Mm Mm-hmm. Same. And I spent too much money on that. And, you know, now with nobody working and sort of like having to budget your life like i don't want to be a consumer i want to buy the things that i need and if i don't need something not have it i love that be more conscious of what i have around me sure that hits me in a really interesting spot because i do feel like last year for me it was about not wasting and appreciating but i never considered the next step forward of making or if I need something, making use of what I have, or how can I make it myself? Yeah. I love that being your own artisan, being your own. Uh, yeah, like you know, like yeah. if I need something, I'll make it. Um, if I can build something, or if I can, if I don't need something, I can sell it or give it mm-hmm. to somebody who needs it. You know, yeah. like that's very important to me. Is not getting rid of stuff and throwing it away. You know, when COVID started, you know, because there was not a lot of money coming around. Sure. Um, I sold a lot of equipment that I wasn't using. I sold a bunch of microphones and a bunch of stuff. There and you go. I didn't try to charge people a lot of money. I sold it for really less money. And people were like, why are you selling it so cheap? And I was like, you need it. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Radical self-reliance meets radical acts of giving and yeah. kindness. Yes. More of that, please, in 2021. And it was funny because, like, there was... Uh, you know, I, I sold it to a guy, and he was, this black guy, and he was like, "You know, I, I, you know, this is expensive, and I couldn't afford it. Like, why are you selling it for so cheap?" And I was like, mm-hmm. "It's new. Sure, I just never used it. Yeah, but you're gonna use it, right? Exactly." And, like, yeah. and I was like, "And when you don't want to use it, you should give it to somebody who can use it." And that's that's the Pay only thing, the stipulation with me selling it to you is sure. that I want someone to, I wanted to go somewhere where someone's gonna do something with it. I want to yeah. create less trash. I want to create less drama. I want to create less. <laughs> 
clutter in the house. <laughs> you know, that drives me nuts. Well, paying it forward is just good for everyone because everyone benefits. Yeah. Either you're in need or you're giving because you don't need any more. But either way, I think paying it forward is a great mantra for 2020. Yeah, I mean, I, I sold the camera and I gave a guy a camera bag. I gave him a bunch of stuff with it. I gave him like a, a bunch of like swag, things to wipe lenses, things to clean. Because I was like, I don't need all this stuff. Like you, you gave him the materials to make money. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's going to have a good time with it. And he was like, oh, man, I just thought you were just going to give me this, like, like this thing. And I was like, no, it's like, you can have all of that. Like, it's just, sure. It's a, it's a way for people to just, like, go and create more. But mm -hmm. I also want you to hold that in, in the back of your head that, like, when it comes time for you to do it, you need to pay it forward. You need to give yeah. some stuff. For sure. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I feel that way definitely uh, within the, the acting world because work is so few and far between for actors. Having a role come, come my way and go, you know what, like, thank you so much for the offer. I'm just not the right person for this. Yeah. But let me point you in the direction of someone who would be great or at least a solid second or third option because I'm not great, they're good, and I would love to put some money in a, a friend or loved one's pocket waste nothing give as sure. much as you can because it all comes back to us like it's just that we're yeah. we're you know it's, it's it's symbiotic like we need each other to survive and mm -hmm. we have to just give it whichever way you can um with that said where can they find you <laughs> this was so much fun thank you so much for having me no so definitely you can find me on the gram at Renegade of Fun. That's also the name of my website, renegadeoffun.com. But you can also type in alanajwebster.com. Alana J. Webster would be my government name. Uh, so Instagram, Twitter, at Renegade of Fun. Also follow the podcast at Black and Yellow Podcast on the gram as well. And on my personal website, you could find out everything from acting projects, web series, the podcast, uh, and any other fun stuff that I might be doing, like this podcast. Check out her reel, y'all. Like, she has a crazy reel. <laughs> Some guy wants to drink her bathwater. It's insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's insane. Uh, I love doing this. Thank you for having me. Go listen to Black and Yellow. Yes. Yes, Black and Yellow. I got it right. Black and you Yellow. You got it right. It is amazing. Uh, women empowering women, women talking about issues, women talking about stuff that we all need to learn about. Uh, thanks again, guys, for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Also follow us on Instagram. Leave a like, leave a comment, tell a friend, share our stories. And remember, if you don't see color, you don't see beauty. <laughs>